Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Um, if you got a Bible this morning and you want to just get ahead of the game, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. If you don't got a Bible, you could be on your cell phone, not Instagram, but on your Bible app. And, um, you know, you think it's just the teenagers, but it's, it's all of you heathens, I swear. Um, I'll be peeking over shoulders sometimes. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible or don't have a phone, there's a big giant one that'll be on the screen for you. Um, I wanted to kind of tell you guys a story. So I have a friend who recently got started in real estate investing. And um, he had been kind of working through this journey of seeking out education on the matter and how that looks for him. And he started learning about different types of financing and things that are just too big for my little brain to handle mostly. But as he started uh, doing this thing, he was buying the gnarliest, ugliest most garbage houses. And I was like, I don't think you're very good at this, man. <laughs> the houses you're buying are so trash that uh, we should just push them off a cliff, you know? Like, they're, they're bad. And he's like, no, that's, that's the point, man. I remember one house in particular, this back in California, and it was around the corner from our house. And uh, so I would, I would stop in fairly frequently just to see how things were going. And um, I remember, I mean, like, I, I even got some pictures just to show you guys. It was, and, and the pictures don't do it justice. We had come across this house one day when we were yard sailing, and the people said, yeah, we're trying to move to Ohio. We have a house in escrow, and we're going to sell this house in two weeks. And I was like, you absolutely are not. They're like, no, the realtor just said it needs a fresh coat of paint. And I said, it absolutely does not. <laughs> it, it needs to be burned. <laughs> And so he takes this house, and I remember going in, and we were just looking at it, and it was like floor-to-ceiling stuff and junk, and it was so stinky, and it was just like this crazy house. To say that it was neglected would have been like a, a fierce understatement. And I started to kind of, as we were popping in from time to time, you know, um, the first step was to help these people get all of their stuff into like 207 U-Hauls and take all of their junk elsewhere because they didn't want to get rid of it. You know, they're like, this is our junk. We love it so much. So we're helping them load it onto U-Hauls and get it out to who knows where. And, and as we're loading these, uh, getting these all loaded up and seeing it, we're starting to see more of the house. And it wasn't really good news to be able to see more of the house. As we started to move boxes away, you could see that there were like outlines of dirt on the walls where boxes had been stacked for years and years and years. The bathroom, I remember going into the bathroom and thinking, who paints a bathroom gray? And then they wiped their fingers and they said, it's not gray. They wiped their fingers and they had been, had those long, tall Catholic candles that they had just had going all the time. And just Mother Mary's just making that bathroom super gray all the time, just like just covered in soot. And the house was stinky. And I just I, I just was like, dude, you suck at buying houses. You buy the worst ones. And he said, hey, man, that's kind of the point. That's what I'm trying to do. And there was something sort of spiritual as we sort of sat on this front porch and, and, and as we looked in this house and as we sat and walked around and navigated. And I mean, like, I wasn't that involved in the process. I just sort of stopped by on my way home often. 
But I started to realize that as a house flipper, you have this ability to see something that is not there as though it is already completed. I, you know, I look at this picture and I'm like, that's a lot of junk. You, you can't really smell this picture, but you don't want to. The lighting fixtures were all busted and weird and they're like daisy chain and electrical cords together and extension cords together to get lights. And a house flipper has this ability to see this dilapidated kitchen but instead see a beautiful place where the meals can be prepared. A house flipper has the ability to see some stained, abused carpet in a living room, but envision children rolling around and playing and making memories. They can see a backyard that's full of nails and wood and hazardous waste and think, man, this is a place where a dog is going to run and kids are going to scrape their elbows and memories are going to be made. And they have the ability to see potential in a home when it is yet still garbage, that's after they got the kitchen cleaned out. I mean, they have this ability to see the potential in a home before it is ever anything worth being desired for. It's kind of this like unique thing to consider that a house flipper is making such a great and large investment on the front end in hopes that uh, something's, going to be, something's going to come of it later. They have the ability to see potential. A house flipper has the ability to see something that is not there as though, is it, as, as though it is already accomplished. And not too far from this idea of flipping houses and, and taking something that seems undesirable or something that does not have a place is this idea of adoption. And we've heard story after story of families in our own church and some cute pregnant lady up here that was talking about um, how, how this process of adoption goes and families who have endured through this process, which is arduous. And I know several families that I've got to be friends with and part of their lives and just walking through the process of adoption, which is a long, frustrating headache with social worker visits and court appointments and delays and this and that and the other thing. It's just long and it's difficult, but they have this desire to invest their resources, their time, their talent, their treasure into a child that otherwise wouldn't possibly have the opportunity. Again, and, and physically, there's, there's something beautiful about adoption, isn't there? There's something so beautiful about the concept of it. And being that my wife was adopted, obviously, I get to live with the benefits on the back end of adoption. I get to be married to a healthy, amazing, beautiful person, not just physically healthy, but emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy, someone who was invested in that might not otherwise have had that opportunity. And parents adopt with this end goal in mind. They're able to take their, their time and their life and invest it into their kids or into these kids that are not theirs with the ability to see the end product which is a child, not just a child, but their child. An adopted parent has the ability to see someone who is not yet their own as though they are. An adopted parent has the ability to look at a child that is not their own and see the potential in them as though they are. I think back, in, in fact, I texted my mother-in-law and said, you got a picture of Julia's adoption day? And for some reason, she was adopted in 1912. That <laughs> is the craziest thing to me. <laughs> I 
look back at that little three-year-old and look down at this not-so-three-year-old anymore. And I think how amazing it was that someone saw potential. And really, that was two years into the process, right? Her mom got her when she was one. But the ability to see this moment before this moment ever came. She sent me a picture, and I didn't send the picture up, but... She sent me a picture of the paperwork that was official. The official, hey, as of this day forward, this girl will now be known as Julia Ariel Zacker. Change that name real quick. But we see in our scripture this morning that Paul is going to kind of paint us some parallels and digs into, honestly, some of the richest and coolest theology that surrounds adoption. So if you've got your Bibles open this morning, Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23, Paul says this. Before this coming, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Now, as we jump into Galatians chapter three, it's worth noting that we're jumping into the middle of a letter that was written to a church in Galatia, right? Like, we're kind of jumping into the middle of a conversation here. And what Paul is doing in this letter is reaffirming uh, the, the salvation that comes through Jesus, the salvation that comes through Jesus by grace, through faith. I mean, it's, it's this idea that you don't have to work for the love of Jesus. You don't have to work for the position of child in Jesus. It's just something that God has given to you. And Paul is reaffirming this because there are people who are kind of tearing this idea down and saying, well, Jesus and a bunch of rule followings. Maybe Jesus and, you know, 613 other laws you should follow. And, and, and Paul's there kind of defending the case saying, dude, just Jesus, only Jesus. And in essence, what Paul is doing as he's explaining this right here is he's kind of explaining this process of adoption, this process of spiritual adoption that you and I have gone through. Or if you don't know Jesus yet, this process of adoption that I'm hopeful you will enter into. You see him kind of reference the fact that before coming to the faith of Jesus, he says he uses the language that we were held under the custody of the law. It's as though like this law, which we know is this, this sort of standard to be accepted. It's this standard of perfection that God has placed. God says, in my presence, it is perfection because only from the only thing that emanates from me is complete perfection. So in my presence, there will be perfection. So there's this law which outlines moral perfection. And the law is sort of this thing that is, is exposes and designed to expose the fact that we don't have moral perfection. In fact, we're far from it. And if we could even just follow those rules, Jesus were, then takes another step further and says, it's not about just following the rules, it's about your heart also. And we're like, oh man, just made it significantly more difficult. And it's as though this, this law, the standard of perfection was almost like this temporary housing, this measurement for requirement for our relationship with God. It's not where it was exactly intended to be forever, but it's something to say, well, hey, man, this is what it is to be a child of God. This is what it is to be of God. It looks this way. And obviously, you and I are able to look through just the bare basic Ten Commandments and fall short at number one. No other gods before me. 
we look at our cell phones, we're like, oh, man. We clock into our nine to five and we're like, oh, man. We look at our spouse or our children, we're like, oh, man. I have God before God all the time. We don't even have to get to two through ten. I just fail at number one. So obviously you and I know that God's perfect law is a standard for relationship with him. And because it's the standard for relationship, we can recognize that we're doomed. There's really like not wiggle room there. We can't be that perfect. And it's as though that this transitional time that Paul is talking about was designed to carry us into a permanent place. It's like the law, if you could kind of follow this analogy, is like a foster parent that is is helping us, providing for us, and taking care of us into a time where we will have our final place, our final home. It's as though the law is saying something like, hey, here's the system for being introduced into a family. This process, this law, though, was never designed to be the end result. Its purpose was to usher us into something greater. Its purpose was to usher us into the adoption that could be made possible through Jesus. It's as though God is seeing this house that has some deep foundational issues, but he's able to foster us to a place of health and restoration. If you're taking notes this morning, which they're not in the app, but oh well. God has the ability to see the finished product before the work ever gets started. There's kind of a key word that we see in verse 24 that I kind of want to, I want to cue into. We see in verse 24 this word that is until. This idea of the word until means that there is something coming, right? You can, you can wait here until I get back. Well, what is the waiting? When's the waiting over? Until I get back, right? There's, there's a condition to this, and it's, it means that we're waiting, right? And he says, hey, man, this law is, our, is, is fostering us. This law is our provision. This law is, is, is taking care of us for a moment until Christ came. 25 tells us that, that the faith that has come... Now that the faith has come, we no longer are in this foster home and we're no longer in this temporary guardianship, but that has like a conditional acceptance. Paul goes on to say then in verse 26, he's like, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. Everyone say amen. That's good news right there. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You're all one. In who? Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's kind of two big things that we can conclude from these verses. Actually, there's like a lot. There's so much going on here. But, but two things that we can kind of see in these verses is, number one, if we are now clothed in Christ, like it says, if we're now clothed in Christ, and that means that, that formerly we were clothed in something else, right? As you kind of read through scripture, there's, there's really a, a narrative that all of the Bible paints, right? And this idea is that we were broken, we were destitute, we were clothed in our sin, in our, our unrighteousness, and in, in ultimately death, and then in Jesus, now we're clothed in him. It's this idea of taking off the old man, putting on the new man that is in Christ. You guys have heard all these things, right? Because you read your Bible every day, right? Of course you do. I know you do. And you're amazing. So he says, hey, you have once had something else on. Now you have 
Christ on. And the second thing that we can see is that if we belong to Christ, we're now included in a standing promise that has already been made. He says, hey man, this this faith that is coming, you are now children of God according to the promise. You're a seed of Abraham. You guys remember how Abram was this dusty old man who could not have children. God comes and he's like, I'm going to make you a father of nations. He tells his wife, his wife is like, you are crazy. You're absolutely insane. You old man, you must have bumped your noodle. And he's like, no, dude, God told me. God told me, right? And, and, and out of this faith that Abraham has, God gives him a son. And from this son, there is a nation born, right? And Romans chapter 11 kind of goes on to describe this relationship with these Gentile non-Jewish people who now are being brought into, it uses the language of being grafted into this family that God had established through Abraham, ultimately through a promise that God made and kept. And Romans 11 sort of gives us a picture of the fact that this, this promise in this family is a giant tree, like a family tree. Aww. And then we, Gentiles or non-Jewish believers, were like, well, where, where do we fit in all of this? And he says that you're grafted in. And if you don't really have a picture for what being grafted in looks like, um, I'm not a botanist, so let me sort of ruin this definition for you. Um, it's basically like uh, you take a little sliver and cut a little sliver in the tree, and then you take a little sliver of a different kind of tree. Let's say you've got an orange tree and you've got a lemon branch. So you take this lemon tree branch and you put cut it into a sliver, and then you cut this the sliver and you put the, the branch in the tree and tape it up and wait. And then all of a sudden, this orange tree is now giving life to this lemon branch, and this lemon branch is part of the orange tree. Does that make sense? In a very horrible way. If anybody here is familiar with basic biology, that was probably offensive. I will just let you know that I failed all of my classes all the time. So, yeah. uh, (laughs) But I'm here, and I have a microphone, so deal with it. Well, God makes his covenant with Abraham to be his God. It's, and and it's, it's Abram's end of the covenant um, um, is to be God's people and, and that God would be their God. Like, he, hey amen, I'm going to be your God, you be my people. That's Abraham's end of the covenant, right? And through Jesus, you and I become part of something much bigger than the sole idea that you're now saved from sin. That is cool though, Right? This idea that in Jesus, you are saved from sin. Isn't that amazing? You're saved from the consequences. Apparently, you're not excited about that, and that's fine. We're going to do a moment where we're going to pass out five-hour energies, and then you'll all be really excited. Um, But for right now, I'll just be the only one excited that Jesus saved me from sin, and that's fine. I'll put the team on my back. But he says, hey, man, it's not just that you are saved from your sin, but you're now adopted into a family that has already been established. This is a family that's already been established. And now you're not just saved from sin, but you're included into a family. You're now part of something that you were previously not even part of. And as we kind of glide into chapter four, because we're kind of taking the end of chapter three, going into chapter four, you're going to see this, this sort of narrative build up. I picture Paul as he like is starting to write a little bit faster, as he's getting really excited, as he's writing about these things. And we look and he says in verse, in verse one of chapter four, He's like, what I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. Here's here's the deal. Capiche, what I'm saying is this. 
As long as an heir is under age, he's no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. It's as though this child has been orphaned. His daddy was rich. He does not really have access to the funds, is what he's saying. Like he is the promised inheritor of all of these things, but he don't really have access to the funds because he's still a child. He says the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, we were underage. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world, right? Now he's talking about the law. He's talking about our relationship with the law. And he's like, dude, this was, this was a temporary thing to bring you to a place, to hold you to a place till Jesus came and did a once and for all type of measurement and dealing with sin. But what he uses here, and I think this is so interesting, is he uses this phrase, these, element, uh, these elemental spiritual forces. That sounds really deep, doesn't it? And we just kind of glide past that and we're like, yes, oh yes, the elemental spiritual forces that be at hand. Him, him, ha. Sounds fancy. I don't like fancy. I'm not very fancy. So what it means is kind of something like this. Let me paint a picture for you. Help me out, okay? I need your participation. Everyone ready? What goes up? That's good. You guys are really good. What goes around? It's kind of this idea. It's seeped in uh, all kinds of world religions. It's seeped in and even uh, uh, atheistic worldviews. We would hear this thing sort of called karma, right? It's something that you get what you deserve. The law had an intention. And the intention was to walk us to a place of understanding and say, you broke this. So this is what you deserve. This is broken. No, this is what you deserve. I'm kind of going through this with my son right now as he's four and just struggling to understand the consequences of his actions. He hasn't nailed it perfectly yet. I thought he was going to get that by three, but he hasn't. So we're just kind of waiting around until he gets it. And one of the things, you know, that we're talking about is like, dude, uh, you did this. What did you think was going to happen? I don't you know like well you're in trouble that's what's going to happen you don't just get to pour all your legos down the toilet you know like that's not something you do what did you think was going to happen how did you think we were going to respond right and and it's this idea that hey man you did something there's absolutely going to be a consequence and this is what the uh, this is what he's saying by these elemental spiritual principles is that there's something has been broken so there needs to be payment for what has been broken and he says that we were formerly held underneath these elemental principles, which means that there's something new now. And that new thing is grace. Turn to your neighbor and say grace. Grace. It's a good, it's a beautiful word. And grace does not operate in the same way that the law does. Grace says, you did nothing to earn this. You did nothing to deserve this. You do not even think of deserving this. But yet I'm pouring it out anyways. Listen, beyond, being, beyond making you a person who can actually be forgiven by God, grace brings you to a place where you are now being a beloved child of God. 
It's more than just him saying, I have pardoned you for what you have done wrong. It is him pulling you in, drawing you in and saying, I accept you and I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter and smooching on you real good like loving you like a good dad. And grace is what God has used to see the potential in us. It's grace that, that, that is even gives us any potential at all. And grace is not getting what you deserve, but rather receiving a blessing instead. In fact, look what Paul says as he sort of trails on into this letter. He says, but when the set time had fully come, there was a set time that was coming. It's sort of this crescendo of human redemptive history that is coming, that is coming. The world is like expecting and, and the spiritual condition of the world is declining. And at this set time, he says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive. What does it say? What are these three words? Adoption to Sonship. Kind of fitting that we're here on the first week of our Advent time, you know, right? As we sort of kicking these things off, going towards Christmas. Because this really is looking forward to this crescendo in human history, this, this apex of redemptive, of the redemptive story where God is like, I am going to set my people free once and for all. Enough little lambs have died. The lamb is going to die. He's going to pay for the sin of the world. I'm going to call these people unto myself. He is going to do the final work of redemption for all of mankind. And if they would just put their faith in him and believe in him and see him as God. He says, I will forgive their sins and I will call them into an eternal relationship with me. No longer will they be underneath the consequences of breaking my just and perfect law. No longer is that the case. He says, now you can have life and life more abundant. Dude, this is good news. I said, dude, dang it. I probably said it like five times. That was the first time I noticed. Paul said that he came to redeem us from being underneath the law. If you read through the book of Romans, which if you haven't yet, do it. What are you doing? It's so good. Romans chapter 7 talks about how the law is actually powerless to save us. Because it, didn't act, it wasn't designed for that. It wasn't designed, it's like trying to put sheets of plywood in a Prius was not designed for that. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to fit. But you know you dads are going to try, right? You know you dads are going to pull those seats down and be like, no, we can get it. We just got to hit it from this angle. And the wives are sitting back going, that is not going to fit. There's no way. Uh, honey, stop. Okay, listen, it's going to, right? We've tried so hard to make this idea that if we could be good enough, then God will love us. We've tried so hard to make it fit, but that's not what the point of the law is. The point of the law was to be a weight. Now, this sounds kind of sketchy. That is hanging over our head, coming down slowly to show us, you know, like we could try to brace ourselves. You know, you guys, you guys seen Star Wars? And they're stuck in that gigantic trash compactor, this moment, right, where it's like, it's coming in, it's coming in. All that the law is, is a weight designed to push us into the arms of Christ, for us to escape from underneath it and be drawn into the arms of Jesus who says, I, I, I fulfilled that. 
I did that. I accomplished that. All the law does is push us towards this once and for all forgiveness of our sins. You don't have to work for this love. You don't have, you don't have to strive for it. You don't have to like try and achieve a certain level of goodness. And then you come to Joel and you're like, hey, Pastor Joel, the representative of God, here's my list of all the good things. And then he gives you a gold star and then you become a level two Christian. And now you're, I'm a level two. It's not like that. There's nothing like that. In fact, he just says, come to me. All of you who are, who are burdened, who are heavy laden, come unto me. Who says this? Jesus, the son of God, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, says, come unto me. Come to me. I can give you rest. I can give you rest from trying to make yourself good enough to think that God would actually love you because he does love you. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you and your sin and your grossness. He sees me in my perfection. He sees my obedience to the law, my obedience to the father, my perfect atonement and sacrifice, my blood that covers sins. He doesn't see Kyle. Praise Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees his son. Yo, this is amazing. The son came not just to make you forgiven, but to make you a child. This, my friends, is the gospel. This is the good news. In fact, I know we're talking a lot about Romans. Paul says in Romans chapter five, gets kind of aggressive here. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is chapter five, verse eight. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is how God demonstrates his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't after you have picked your life up, picked your scraps up, got yourself together, pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and said, all right, now that I'm a big boy, now I'm worth saving it was at your most worthless point, actually. Your most valueless point in life. It was worth it to God. It says, then, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified, which means that our debt has been paid, there is a zero debt balance now. We've been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Praise God. The reality is that when we break the law, we now have to deal with the consequences of the law. And the consequences of breaking God's perfect and just law is the eternal separation from him. He's holy. He's just. He's perfect. He actually, he actually cannot have sin in his presence. Not that sin is like his kryptonite. I should rather say he will not have sin in his presence. He's God. He don't have to. He makes a way provides the means for you to be able to be drawn in as a child. He says in verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, everyone say enemies. This is a heavy, heavy, heavy thing that's being said here. The Bible is calling those who are not under Christ an enemy of God. Now, I can't speak for the whole world, but I can because the Bible says it actually, but I will... I'll just say for myself, absolutely. Apart from Jesus, I was an enemy of God. 
running from him, blaspheming him, denying him, rejecting him. That's no friend. That's no child. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled, which means brought back what was broken and fractured is now made whole and complete again. Reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Amen. God has done a work through his son, Jesus, to finalize our adoption into the family of God. It's almost like we could picture ourselves when we yield unto Jesus, we put ourselves underneath Jesus. Now we could see ourselves in some 1920s old-timey photo. The day we were adopted. Why is it in black and white? I don't know either. I'm going to call your mom and ask her. She's probably watching. What the heck? But even more than that, he took us from a place of being his enemy. And that's when he sought us out. That's when he died from our sins. At our lowest, farthest point from him. It'd be like seeking out and adopting ISIS children. In a community, and a people that actively hate you. It'd be like, I'm going to go find them. I'm going to adopt them. It'd be like adopting ISIS teenagers who already know that they hate you. Because you're American, because you're this, because you're that. It'd be like adopting them. They're actively against you. They've been told they're against you. They've lived their life against you. And at this point, you're like, oh, that's, what I, that's who I'm going for. That's the target audience, really, I think. You know? you, could you imagine the challenge? Could you imagine the depth of love? Could you imagine the death you'd have to bring to yourself to prove to someone who's your enemy that you love them? It's crazy to me. Uh, here's, here's what's crazier to me. I don't stop and ponder the depth of God's grace nearly enough as I should. Because just sitting here in this moment, isn't your mind a little bit blown, family? Aren't you just blown away at how much God would pay for your life? We hear Jesus say that, that which is crazy, right? Like this language in scripture talks about, talks about us being taken from a kingdom of darkness, brought into a kingdom of life. Jesus even is, says things like, you're, if you're not my children, you're children of the devil. Like, I mean, there's some really strong language that talks about, this is not like a, you're right in the fence and that's when God found you. It was like you were for or against. And in fact, when Christ died for you, you were against. And without hope to become for. It has to be God's work that even brings you on this side of the fence altogether. Because God's not just adopting orphans, God's adopting enemies. Crazy. And look at how he ties this up in these last couple verses. Galatians chapter 6. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. He says, because you are his sons and daughters, ladies, hey, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Oh, it would have been enough for him to die for our sins, to call us his children. It would have been enough for him to pay our debt. But how much more of a loving God would it be for him to give us his spirit to dwell in our hearts, to enable us to even follow him? That we can ha now have not just the promise of communion with our God for all of eternity, but today. Today we get to be with him. What an amazing thing. He says we put the spirit in our heart. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. You're no longer a slave underneath the, the tutelage and the provision of the law. You're now called out of that into Christ as a child of God. God has made you also an heir. We now have the ability to call out to God, like, hey, God, you, you are my dad. That word, Abba, Father, really closely translates to daddy. But I feel weird saying daddy, God, because people do that, and it's weird, okay? It's weird to me. But I do know that when my children say daddy, there's not much I won't do for them. It's cute, it's moving, it's adorable, and it exposes how deeply dependent they are on me. I just want to serve them. I just want to do whatever. Daddy, can we build Legos at 11.30 p.m.? And I'm like, sure. That sounds fantastic. Because I love you. He says that spirit now draws us into such a deep relationship it's as though we can really crawl up on his lap and like I said he just starts planting smooches on us with his scruffy beard scruffy god beard kisses I don't know maybe this is weird for you but dude I love the idea of being a little baby in God's arms man it's awesome again I say that the work of Christ did much more than freeing you from sin it establishes you it even goes farther than establishing you as a child It actually establishes you as a child and places you right alongside Jesus himself. Romans chapter 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you're in fear again. Uh, Rather, the Spirit you receive brought out your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, which means we have an inheritance. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Not only did he save you from your sins, not only did he make you a child of God, he also establishes you and gives you the same inheritance as the son of God. Are you joking me? I'm not. This is insane. This is the love of God. This is extravagant. This is unnecessary, it seems. This is too much. This is too much for me. You know why? Because I know who I am. And I know what I was thinking this week. I know what I think when I'm in traffic. And I know what I think when my wife yells at me and I get all mad. And I know how I am. And I know how I look at people. And I know how I judge. And he says, you're not just forgiven. You're not just a son. You're co-heirs with Christ. And my mind is melted because I'm like, how could you love me so much? Because I know who I am. And if I know who I am, you know who I am that much more. But you call me a co-heir with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's a big tagline. You got to share in the sufferings of Jesus to share in the glory of Jesus. It's another message. Joel, you got that next week? All right, cool. So (laughs) listen, in Christ, you gain everything from his sonship. And this isn't like some Cinderella living on the fringe type of like, oh, you're the stepchild type of thing. Like you're brought in, top tier. And I hear people that are like, man, I would be happy if I just got to scrub some toilets in heaven, you know, just getting in there. I live on a box on the street as long as I'm there. And I'm, that's kind of funny. 
But it also exposes how, how little we're able to understand the depth of the grace of God. That is not what he's calling. He's not calling you into heaven to scrub toilets. You know, scrubbing bubbles for you, Mr. Clean. You're all bald in heaven, scrubbing toilets, mopping floors all the time. Absolutely not. He's got a mansion for you. He's prepared that place for you. Jesus says, I'm gone away to prepare that place for you. I mean, like, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. And you might be hearing me and you might be like, yeah, but you don't know how dirty I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how I've acted. You don't know how I've rejected against God. And all that I have to say is that God is not concerned with where you've been. He's concerned with where you're going. God's not concerned with what you've done. He's concerned with what he's done for you. This is who our God is. I mean, like to, to give you a zero balance on the debt that you have incurred on your own. He's not concerned with it. And you may feel just like that nasty house, just dilapidated and broken and used and abused. You might feel like, like, look, it, I didn't show you the outside. That was just the outside. And you might feel like your life is cluttered and nasty, like the structural integrity of your life and the person you are is compromised. But God sees something much different. God sees it clean and gray. <laughs> Stupid. He sees it beautiful. He sees it cleaned up. He sees it fixed up. He sees it nice. God's objective in sending his son was to save mankind from the eternal penalty of rejecting him as God. And Jesus himself says, I am the exclusive way to this. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the way. Come to me, he declared. Come who are hungry. Come who are heavy laden. Come who are burdened. Come to me. And he says, come and be with my father. Because he wants you to be his son and he wants you to be his daughter and he wants you to be at this day right here. I'm just looking back at this picture one more time. No, I'm sorry, the, the adoption picture. No, the other one. Yeah, 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 that one right there. You look back at this moment and who would think at this moment right here just freshly adopted to see the value. What God sees is actually beyond this moment right here. What God sees, now you can go to the next one, is this. God sees a legacy. I was tying my shoes like on Tuesday or something and I just looked up and saw my beautiful family sitting on the stairs. I was looking at my pictures in Panera when I was supposed to be writing my message. And um, I was like, man, God doesn't, see you at this place of adoption. He sees you here. He sees you called. He sees you chosen. And he sees you walking down this path. So would you choose to follow him today? Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person. If you live in the Tri-Cities area, we meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.